Neurocentry. Amid all the excitement around AI, what is the impact of technology on brain health? I'm super thrilled to have on the podcast today Wim van Hecke. Wim is the founder and CEO of Icometrics, a company that aims at nothing short of uh, transforming the care of patients with neurological disorders through extracting more meaningful data from brain imaging and scans using AI. Beam himself trained as an engineer and specialized in biomedical engineering and neuroimaging. He's author and co-author of over 200 publications, and he's also a visiting professor at the Free University in Brussels. Now, I would like to start um, with a question about the end destination, because I know, Wim, that uh, this is what you always say is super important in uh, launching a company and developing an approach. And obviously, brain MRI scans are a crucial part of the diagnosis and monitoring in uh, neurology. But it is also a very uh, tedious uh, task for radiologists to, to study the images. Uh, it is also becoming more and more challenging, uh, particularly as clinical burdens and uh, disease complexity continue to increase. Uh, so what is really the outcome that you would like to uh, see at the end of um, the process? Um, I mean, is AI going to replace uh, radiologists or uh, will we have uh, AI savvy radiologists instead of uh, the ones doing the more conventional work? First of all, thank you so much, Pavel, for having me here on your podcast. You start off with already a very complex question. Um, I think from our perspective, when we look at it from a, a bit of a higher level, what we mainly want to do is to impact um, people with chronic neurodegenerative brain disorders through AI-driven precision medicine. And I think the time is absolutely now that we need to start using these tools and adopting them. Because if you look at the, the burden of disease in neurology, many people are not necessarily familiar with that. It's around 800 billion euros per year in Europe, uh, similarly $800 billion per year in the US, which is actually more than the sum of heart disease, diabetes, and oncology. So the need is definitely there. Um, there's a need to diagnose and monitor these patients. And for that, you need clinical measures, you need biomarkers, you need, if we want to go through data-driven uh, decision-making, which is, I think, to a large extent, the case in these other disorders like genetic tests, blood tests, blood glucose measures have shown to really impact diseases such as diabetes, heart disease, and oncology. Uh, and when we look at, at the neurology space, Indeed, these brain MRI and to some extent CT scans are really essential, essential as well. Um, they really provide a unique window to the brain uh, in a non-invasive way. And for example, in the case of multiple sclerosis, MRI is an essential part of the diagnosis. Uh, you need to do an MRI to really confirm that a person has multiple sclerosis. But it doesn't stop there. Once these people are on treatments, after the diagnosis, uh, a brain MRI scan um, should be performed at least once a year to really monitor if the treatment is working or not. And so as you can imagine, there's a huge amount of brain MRI scans being performed every year. And that number actually will increase dramatically uh, in the coming decades um, because of the shifting demographics, the aging population. To give an example there at the moment, um, it's uh, thought that around 35 million people worldwide live with Alzheimer's disease. But that number will triple by 2050. The cost for society will actually go up six times higher. And the burden that I mentioned of 800 billion euros per year for neurology will actually be 800 billions per year just for Alzheimer's disease alone uh, in a few decades. So 
there's a huge need to not only standardize these healthcare systems, but also see how AI and then specifically for neurology, also imaging brain MRI scans can be used in a better way uh, to really support that. To answer the second part of your question, I don't think AI, brain imaging AI will replace radiologists. I think it's really a tool to aid them and to assist them uh, to get numbers out of the scan. But that uh, expertise knowledge that a radiologist has will still, of course, be extremely important. So I sometimes compare it with a calculator. When that was invented last century, a lot of accountants thought that they would lose their jobs because suddenly there's a machine that can calculate a lot more quickly and a lot more and better and more accurately than uh, when you do it yourself. But yeah, we know that there's still a lot of accountants around and the calculator indeed became a tool that assists them to work more efficiently uh, in their job. And the same will be the case for AI in medicine and specifically for in radiology as well. What I want to um, ask about now is uh, um, the progress in imaging uh, technology itself, because you uh, already mentioned uh, that, well, the scale of the challenge is such that we will definitely uh, need to make sense of a lot more uh, data. Um, however, how um, has the imaging technology changed? Are you uh, getting the the data points that you would wish for uh, for your algorithms to start with? And then are these uh, data points that you train the models with, the data points that you then see in the hospital when the clinical picture is taken? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, we mo mostly indeed work on MRI. It's a wonderful technology. Um, it is non-invasive as no radiation is used uh, compared to, for example, uh, CT scans. And it does create the most amazing images uh, of the brain. And in contrast to CT, MRI is actually really good at showing a contrast between soft tissues in the brain. Uh, the brain is obviously very complex, consists of neurons or computer chips in the brain. Uh, we call it the gray matter uh, and axons that connect them all, uh, which we call the white matter. Uh, but there's all kinds of different structures in the brain and, and MRI actually allows you to, um, again, in a non-invasive way, get a really good picture of how these structures are, uh, if there's any abnormalities present and so on. We come a long way. Uh, the first clinical MRI scans were done in the early 80s of the last century. And yeah, the technology has improved dramatically since then. Today, those scanners can create really the most wonderful images in a very short time frame. And so MRI really allows you to measure clinically relevant things uh, that can impact that diagnosis and treatment monitoring. And that's exactly what I noticed when I was doing my PhD at the Antwerp University Hospital as a young and naive engineer uh, being in the radiology department, that the scans look fantastic nowadays. There's so much information in there. But actually, the end result, the radiological report, was still, to a large extent, very descriptive, uh, qualitative, based on a visual assessment. And again, if we want to move to, to precision medicine and data-driven decision-making, uh, we need to get more measures out of these uh, scans. So that's why we started Icometrics and developed IcoBrain, which is our uh, MRI um, AI software, really to get what is clearly relevant out of the scan and uh, make sure that radiologists and, their, and also neurologists have the measures in their hands that they need uh, for better decision-making. So that's why we, have, we did measure all kinds of different uh, brain structures to really support that diagnosis and treatment monitoring. We saw each other in October at um, the Defeating Dementia Conference in The Hague. And I'm putting an emphasis on that title because it is quite telling. 
uh, defeating dementia that reflects a sense of optimism which um, um, prevails now in the field as of recently to be honest because it really follows the um, FDA approval of um, the disease modifying uh, treatments so Lecambi is already available in the United States uh, approvals are pending in in, in Europe and and that um, definitely installs a sense of uh, uh, excitement in the um, uh, in the field of uh, dementia. Uh, but for these treatments, early diagnosis is definitely crucial because uh, what they can do is to uh, modify the, the disease trajectory at the early phase of uh, the disorder. And uh, so how can uh, the digital solutions help in the early diagnosis? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think we, we can't uh, overstate the importance of that breakthrough in Alzheimer's disease with the availability of these first disease-modifying treatments. The impact will be huge. Um, uh, and as mentioned already, we are looking at around 35 million people with Alzheimer's disease today, uh, which is increasing rapidly. But actually, that number is a vast under-representation uh, of the true problem. If we look at people with so-called preclinical or prodromal Alzheimer's disease, which are these earlier stages of the disease, um, a recent paper from last year from Gustafsson and colleagues estimated the number of people with an Alzheimer's disease spectrum on the continuum to be around 460 million. So that would actually represent around 22% of all people aged 50 years and, and above. So the problem is actually a lot bigger, especially if you look at that, these early stages. And that is very relevant to your point because the new disease-modifying treatments uh, for Alzheimer's disease they really specifically target that population with early stages of Alzheimer's disease. Um, that's how the clinical trials were developed and probably why they were successful, that if you're too late in the disease stage, that um, these new therapies won't have the, the effect um, that is significant on, on slowing down the progression. And so that together, indeed, to your point, our healthcare systems are waiting a huge challenge uh, in making sure all these people can be diagnosed on time. And the diagnostic process is, is a bit of a complex one. It includes different kinds of measures, such as cognitive assessments, obviously. It includes confirmation of amyloid through the brain PET uh, scan or a lumbar puncture, and also a brain MRI scan. And so there's different biomarkers to look at at the one hand. And at the other hand, we will also need to streamline our care pathways because, first of all, you need to be aware that you might have an early, fo early form of Alzheimer's disease. So there's a lot of education needed at the patient's side. And then they need to go on time to a, pr a primary care physician, which also needs to detect that something might be wrong early enough before you can go to a neurologist and to a radiologist to get all the scans. It's a pretty complex system and, and a healthcare challenge. And that's why I think AI and technology can make such a huge impact. If you look at from our side with the brain MRI measures, we developed a module, IcoBrain, uh, for dementia that actually can really help in that diagnosis through different brain structures, such as the hippocampus, the frontal, parietal, temporal, and, and the occipital lobe. And these measures allow radiologists and physicians to diagnose early, but also to make the correct differential diagnosis as different types of dementia often involve cognitive uh, decline. So it's really important to know if it's an Alzheimer's disease type dementia or maybe a frontal temporal dementia. And finally, MRI, I think, as well, in, in that diagnostic process will play a role to look at eligibility to get on the treatment. And we might come back on that as well, but there's certain safety concerns around these new treatments. And one of the eligibility criteria to start on the treatment is a brain MRI scan where you cannot have too many existing brain bleeds in, in your brain MRI, otherwise you're not eligible for the treatment. So 
again, measures and different biomarkers and new technology will be uh, absolutely essential to to uh, optimize that diagnostic process. Right. So you, you mentioned that a whole new system of care will be needed for the diagnostic um, aspects. But this is just the beginning, right? When one thinks of what will be needed, one needs to take into account the, the need for monitoring of patients uh, in the course of the treatment. Uh, because these are infusion-based treatments, so people will need to get these uh, base MRI scans that you just mentioned, um, but then they will need to get further scans as the treatment progresses. Uh, so I think one could compare what is needed to what has been developed in oncology in terms of the level of uh, sophistication and the level of complexity um, as well. And what will be needed in particular is uh, reliable methods to, to detect the, the ARIA abnormalities, so ARIA being uh, the amyloid-related imaging abnormalities. And um, your solution, uh, IcoBrain, is the one that can do that as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're absolutely right, I think, also before maybe diving into the ARIA um, safety issue specifically. I think indeed the, the fact that we need to start monitoring in such at such a scale with so many patients will be really a challenge for the healthcare systems. I think we have learned a lot in our experience in multiple sclerosis, for example, where disease modifying treatments um, are available for around two decades. And we've seen indeed that timely diagnosis obviously is important there as well, but the real resource intensivity and the time consuming part is actually in making sure that we monitor all these people that are on a treatment First of all, that the treatment is working, that there's no side effects and so on. And so indeed, AI will play a, a big role there. And to your point specifically, also in Alzheimer's disease, where um, the clinical trials of these uh, amyloid treatments have shown that around one in three people, depends a little bit on the, on the type of, of DMT, who are on the treatment will suffer from what is indeed called the amyloid-related imaging abnormalities. And ARIA can have the form of small brain bleeds, uh, as well as edema or gyral swelling, and needs to be monitored with brain scans, as was done in the clinical trials. And hence also the FDA has mandated at least four MRI scans in the first year of treatment, one before starting the treatment as like a baseline scan, and then at least three uh, MRIs during that first year, so three in one year already, to really monitor these ARIA measures. And the challenge with ARIA is also that it is a very specific set of brain abnormalities that only actually occur when patients are on these new disease-modifying treatments. So most of the radiologists and neurologists that have not been working in the clinical trials have never seen cases of ARIA. So this is completely new. Um, and also it can present itself in a very subtle way. You have different severities of obviously when it's a very severe ARIA. Yeah, you will see massive lesions that uh, are occurring in the brain. That's very easy to spot. But most of the times, the early signs are very subtle. Um, a study from 2019 even demonstrated that around 84% of ARIA cases might be missed by local radiologists uh, because it's new, because it's subtle and so on. So again, AI is clearly needed there and not just to monitoring uh, the efficacy of the treatment, but really also the safety. Uh, from our side, we've been working on this uh, problem for more than two years now. We uh, started a collaboration with Biogen, one of the uh, drug manufacturers of Lekembi, as well as Aduhelm, that was developed together with Azai. Uh, and we got access to a very large clinical trial data set. And obviously, if you want to develop an AI tool, you need data, uh, you need relevant data, and uh, these RES scans were only available in the clinical trials. 
And in addition, we've done yeah, a pretty unique reader study as um, we're measuring an abnormality that is also a safety event. So the validation and evidence needs to be extremely strong. So in the reader study by trained radiologists, and we uh, actually presented the results at the last CTAT conference, and the full paper is actually accepted now and will be online in a few weeks. And that demonstrated that thanks to what we can call icobrain ARIA, our brain MRI measures that assess ARIA, the detection of these ARIA safety events, as well as the assessment of the severity of the ARIA, which is clinically very important, improved significantly. So at the moment, the solution is FDA pending. Uh, we also hope very soon to get the final uh, clearance there so that we can help radiologists and neurologists to feel confident when they're monitoring these people on the, on the new disease modifying treatments. Fingers crossed, because this will be an important part of this overall uh, system of care in dementia. Uh, I want to zoom out a little bit now uh, to ask you about, you know, how you decide what particular solutions to to develop, because you have developed, you have uh, uh, already quite a suite of uh, um, solutions um, at Icometrics. And there is, of course, progress in science as we speak, right? So how exactly do you go about this to decide which brain structures to, to focus on, depending on which hypothesis for the development of uh, the disorder is the most uh, uh, viable one at the given point in time? Yeah, great question. So um, I think from our perspective, that goes back to um, why we started Icometrics and why we do what we do and this really to indeed impact um, outcomes and lives of people to make a clinical impact. Uh, and obviously, we also have developed a tool so that they can improve the radiology workflow, that we reduce the time needed to read all these MRI scans, which is in the healthcare systems as important. But we really wanted to go a step further and impact that diagnosis, treatment, decision-making outcomes, and hopefully also cost for society. And this goal, I think, relates to, to your question, because that's depending on that also, that's where we decide upon like which brain structures to measure. And rather than measuring under data points uh, that we can get out of the brain MRI scan or even a thousand and which we, we love to do as engineers we really uh, had to look at from the other perspective and from the clinical impact perspective and um, that's why IcoBrain is developed and to your point um, there are solutions already FDA's clear CE marked for multiple sclerosis for Alzheimer's disease for epilepsy stroke traumatic brain injury but really to develop each and every solution uh, in a way that it measures what is clinically relevant for that specific patient and therefore for the specific doctor to make um, decisions. And so, yeah, for example, again, in multiple sclerosis, if you look at treatment monitoring there, there are actually four important measures that a clinician needs to look at when deciding if a person has uh, active disease and therefore might need to switch treatment. And two of them are MRI-based, and that is included, these measures, exactly in our IcoBrain reports, that is, the number uh, on the location of new lesions or abnormalities in the brain MRI scan, as well as the change in the brain volume. Because in a lot of neurodegenerative disorders, yeah, the brain or certain structures, they shrink faster than, than norm in normal aging. And so exactly these measures that are in the guidelines to be used for treatment decisions are measured in an extremely accurate way. There's two other measures actually in multiple sclerosis that are more clinical, uh, looking at the disability progression uh, and occurrence of relapses. And that is also why we developed a pretty unique medical device app, which is called iCompanion. Uh, and that allows uh, people with MS to monitor and track their disease in between visits to neurologists. So all the information on the progression, both on the MRI side, which comes through our iCobrain reports and radiology, 
but also on the progression of disability and occurrence of these relapses is captured in a way that, again, the physician has all the relevant data points that they need to make yeah, a best possible um, decision. I think secondly, beyond the, the selection of which measures to add in the reports, uh, I think the, the, why we do what we do and because we want to impact care, I think also relates a lot to design choices of the software. I mean, you can look at AI in so many different ways and angles. And for us specifically, as mentioned, it's not just about that one MRI for the diagnosis, which is important. It's really also about serial MRI scans and being able to find these subtle changes that occur in, in these brain structures or in these abnormalities on the scans. And so our deep learning AI models uh, were uh, developed um, to not just look at the single scan, but really get all the information out of this series of scans that a, that a person will have over time to, again, maximize the impact of the measures on, on uh, the clinical site. The solutions we're discussing are uh, to be applied in the clinic, so clearly they need uh, validation. Yep. Uh, and I'm curious um, if uh, the technical validation um, has been more challenging or is it the validation in the clinical setting? Um, and also what can be potentially done to uh, to streamline that process? Uh, the, uh, the EU has funded recently what uh, what is called the testing and uh, experimentation facilities for AI tools in in healthcare, uh, can approaches like like that be helpful in uh, getting through the validation stage more quickly? Absolutely, hundred percent. I think, um, and and it's again a great question, which actually relates a little bit to to the previous one because I think if you look at from a technology perspective and from a like development company, you want to make an impact with AI somehow on 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 the in the medical field. Again, it's it depends on how you want to make an impact and. To your point, I believe that uh, just a technical validation, looking at the accuracy of the measures or the reproducibility, is actually the the easiest step by far. It uh, takes a lot larger studies. It takes a lot larger evidence generations. Um, if you want to really impact that clinical decision-making, outcomes of patients, costs for society, which should be the goal, I believe, of all the um, the developed tools. So I believe that's at the heart of Icometrics and, and not just because we're an academic spin-off and we um, like publications and we like to value everything to, throughout scientific uh, publications. Uh, and indeed, we have published a lot, but it's really also about um, making sure that we can impact outcomes. And I think we are recognized in the field for that, that and that's sometimes a tough one because the, you spend a lot of efforts and time and resources uh, for very large and big studies that not, don't necessarily have an impact immediately, but you need to do them to really demonstrate um, that evidence. And yeah, there was a recent paper from last year from Mendelssohn from UCL that was independently published demonstrating indeed that from the imaging AI perspective that we are one of the few uh, companies that is leading not just on that technical validation, but also on clinical outcomes and, and so on. And I think now we see um, the value of it and, and all the hard work coming together. Uh, we received a nice medtech innovation briefing in the UK, um, a new CPT code in the US that was issued by the AMA. It is extremely important. It takes a lot of time. But again, it really, if you want to make an impact, it's, it's um, so crucial there. And we keep validating, we keep doing evidence studies. Uh, there's two large ones, for example, uh, through the IHI uh, program, uh, claims and predictome on multiple sclerosis and Alzheimer's disease, uh, where we are looking at very large retrospective and prospective data sets to further validate the software, the impact 
on decision making and outcomes, and also to move more and more towards prediction models, because I believe what we do now is already relevant. We give the tools, the measures that a clinician needs to make a best informed decision. What we really want to go through is not just give data points, but really insights. Can we indeed predict if a patient might be better responding or worse on certain treatments? Can we predict outcomes, how the trajectory looks like from the patient? And you might want to start with very aggressive treatments early or not. And these are the, the further tools that I think fit very well in our aim and our passion to, to help people, but also need to be validated in that way, because that's also, of course, becoming yeah, a class three medical device, which also needs all these studies uh, for validation. This takes us to the question about a, a sustainable business model, because in order uh, for solutions you have described to be um, helping patients, they need to be available. And uh, I think you have placed a lot of emphasis on integration into hospital uh, workflows. Um, however, what is crucial from the point of view of, of scaling is uh, reimbursement. And, and uh, you have uh, recently received the CPT3 reimbursement code uh, in the US. So that opens the way to being embedded in the US um, healthcare. So from the point of view of, uh, of where you want to be as a, as a company, how crucial these steps are to enable you to scale? Yes, absolutely. I think the, the impact uh, of that can't be overestimated. Um, the um, CP3 code was uh, indeed issued by the AMA uh, based on our submitted evidence. And again, comes back to our previous discussion about having sh making sure that you have all that evidence that is needed, which can lead to such new uh, CPT codes. Uh, so it was issued in July this year, will become active actually next month in January 2024. So that's extremely exciting, obviously, for us. A CPT3 code is a, like a conditional reimbursement code um, that can become like a fixed CPT1 code after a few years based on the adoption and based on further evidence. Um, but it is absolutely crucial. I think finding that sustainable business model for new technology is the hardest nut to crack. It's like the, the final goal, the most important one, but, but the hardest. Um, we've seen that in the space with so many large companies with promising and brilliant technology that actually have struggled with that. I mean, for example, peer therapeutics with a lot of great technology, but not being able to find that sustainable business model in terms of reimbursement, which will, of course, drive adoption. And I think what we see too, that for new technology, um, you might find, um, as we have done as well, uh, departments of hospitals paying for it for a certain amount of time, um, but to really scale the adoption and become the standard of care yeah, being fully embedded in the healthcare system also through a reimbursement code is absolutely essential, but again, is the, is the hardest one. So yeah, I can't express actually how excited I am about what we achieved and this year and how um, this will really impact uh, the scale at which we can help our people with neurological conditions uh, in the coming years. Super. And I want to put things now in in a broader context because what you uh, what you do opens the the way for more uh, data driven clinical decision making. Uh, but I'm also aware that you partner with a number of uh, organizations and companies active in this field. So you uh, you are not trying to go alone, but of course um, build uh, um, an ecosystem along the way. Um, so what would you aim to achieve uh, with these partnerships? It's a great question again, because I think for us, looking back at, uh, let's say, a decade of innovation, of uh, working hard to get technology to the point it is now, the importance of partnerships um, and working in that ecosystem 
is huge. And that's, of course, thanks to the fact that we were so focused on clinical decision-making in brain disorders. Um, we could have also decided strategically a few years ago to, we developed AI for brain MRI. Uh, now we go into other parts of the body and also make AI that can help radiologists. But we really deliberately chose to uh, have that brain focus to really make that impact on outcomes, but also to be able to work with that, within that ecosystem with partners. I think we have a very strong network. Um, for us, the ecosystem is patients, first of all, and patient organizations, uh, providers, obviously, but also pharmaceutical companies and, um, and payers. And I think one of the crucial things we have done, and, and sometimes when you um, start a company, scale a company, you make a lot of decisions that um, you only in hindsight can see how they turned out. But I think one of the important ones for us is from the start, actually, to start engaging with patients, patient organizations and providers to really in-depth understand the needs from different stakeholders and, and to avoid the typical problem when engineers enter healthcare market and they want to make fancy things. It's not about um, the measures. It's not about AI. It, I mean, AI is a mean, it's not the goal itself. The goal is, of course, to create that impact. And also what I learned is that especially at the intersection, actually, between the stakeholders, most of the value and the impact can be uh, created. Uh, obviously, at the intersection between payers and providers led to the new CPD tree code. But there's also a huge opportunity on the intersection between pharma and providers uh, around real-world data and insights. Drug development in neuroscience is uh, notoriously slow and expensive with very high failure rates, uh, as we know. An important aspect here is that, yeah, people with these brain disorders aren't very well characterized with biomarkers, uh, as is the case in oncology, for example. And using that real-world data and insights at scale is giving tremendous insights into patient profiles, um, which can lead to companion diagnostics, can de-risk that drug development process significantly. So that's really where impacting clinical decision-making at scale in the provider world and making it more data-driven really comes together with the needs also from a, from a pharma perspective. And finally, I think also on that intersection between pharma and payers is a really interesting one. Um, if I use the example of multiple sclerosis again, therapies in the US cost around $70,000 per patient per year. And it is known that a very large proportion of these uh, patients aren't really responding to the treatment. We have demonstrated in one of our uh, evidence studies that our solutions and the ICO brain measures for MS patients can detect the fact if patients are responding or not more than three years earlier. So you win three years of paying for a very expensive treatment that is having no effect at all on the outcome of the patient. And this allows really to also look at the payer perspective and the pharma together and really move and collaborate uh, on outcome-based arrangements, on value-based arrangements. And again, given Going back to your first question, given the huge burden of neurology also in the coming decades, I think moving healthcare system towards a more value-based healthcare is absolutely essential. Otherwise, the costs um, will, will be skyrocketing and, and won't be able to, to be carried uh, by, by the system. In my last question, I want to ask you to uh, look a little bit into your crystal ball uh, at what is in, in stock for 2024. And you just had a great piece on, on LinkedIn um, called A Long and Winding Road 2011-2022, uh, where you described uh, 
how much effort it took over a, a decade to get to where you are. Uh, then you speak about 2023, which was, I felt, uh, really a turning point uh, when you reached the uh, flying altitude. Um, so what would you hope for in uh, 2024? Yeah, thanks a lot. And um, it, it's indeed, I mean, starting a healthcare company, a technology company in healthcare is, uh, can be a struggle, can be indeed a long and winding road. And there's a lot of challenges ahead. Probably is good that you don't know them all too well when you start and that you can keep all your passion and energy to fight them one by one. And indeed, to your point, I think 2023 was pretty pivotal for Icometrics because not only yeah, we received that new CBD tree code, which uh, again, finally, that sustainable business model, which allows to become standard of care and to scale. But of course, also from the whole field, I mean, you uh, as a technology company, you you depend to some extent on how the field in general is moving. And um, again, if, if um, the disease modifying treatments in Alzheimer's disease would have failed, yeah, then it's a whole different problem that we're facing with healthcare system. But this gives a huge opportunity to help not only help more patients, but to really also look, for example, at these safety reads for MRI and to really embed AI, not as a nice to have, but really as a need to have uh, in these healthcare systems. So looking forward, I believe, um, 2024 will be extremely exciting uh, for us um, in terms of the, the scaling with providers. Uh, and as mentioned before, hand in hand comes huge opportunities to impact uh, the healthcare systems at scale with pharma, with payers and so on. One of the things I also learned actually over the years is that we provide measures to physicians to make better uh, decisions. But what we actually also do as a side effect of uh, providing that technology is we also help standardizing these care pathways, make them more data-driven. Um, the MRIs are done in the way the guidelines uh, suggest. And that really also is an impact that we already see now, but that we will see at a huge scale next year and in the coming years. So yeah, we're obviously extremely excited. And from a product standpoint, as mentioned, I think the faster we can move from data points to insights, the more impact we can uh, have on, yeah, patients' lives and outcomes. Beam, I can't wait to see how you are moving the needle in the precision data-driven uh, neurology in uh, 24. Uh, my very best wishes and thanks so much for joining today. Thank you very much, Pavel. It was a pleasure.